Excellente. Good morning. Uh, glad to see everybody here. I'm so glad to be here. Man, I was just struck during that praise time. Thanks, praise team, for, for all you're doing, by the way. Like, just bless you week in and week out. Uh, I was just struck when uh, the praise team, like, paused. I was like, wait, I'm not ready for that. And then Jerry's like, the Lord. And I was like, yeah, I was just going through the motions for a second. And I, I got jacked up, and I was, like, all teary right here. And then and then that uh, powerful message from the Kid Venture, man, I'm done today. Like, I don't know. Like, what am I going to do the rest of the day? I got to speak. Uh, that's cool because I think God has something really cool planned um, uh, for what we're going to do. Uh, let's get to our shouts. Ready? Uh, what do we do? We love God and we love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. This morning, before I jump to it, I just wanted to uh, say hi to my, my little niece. Uh, uh, she gave me this little turtle here. His name is Happy Volcano because he's happy and he's got a hole on the top of his shell so he's like a volcano. And uh, he helps me uh, write all my sermons. That's where the, the good ideas come from. Uh, she just gave it to him, uh, me to him, and, and I want to give her a shout out and uh, thank you, uh, Ocean, my dear niece. Love you. Uh, my sister said like she waits. like Her little brother, he goes and runs right after Kid Venture and goes and plays. But she waits to see her uncle, and so like, oh, so cool, so thank you. Uh, so bless you, and good morning, and glad you're joining us. Um, today we're beginning a new series called Fields, where we're going to spend four weeks uh, in Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> and in this chapter, Jesus gives like a bunch of different parables, and four of them happen to be orbiting around this idea of fields. And so we're just going to dive into it for the next four weeks, talking about this. And I, I can't r- wait to, to share with you with you, what God is doing, and what Jesus said all those years ago from Matthew chapter 13. And so if, you, um, if you'd like, just go ahead and read through Matthew 13 for you know, maybe once or twice a week and as we go through for the next four weeks. Just put it maybe as your regular reading rotation. That'd be really cool. <clears throat> all right, so in my house, so we started renting a house just about a year, uh, no, maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, and when we moved into our new rental in the back, uh, it was a mess out in the back. It was like... Uh, classic California desert looking back there. Uh, there was no water. It had been hard packed. There was some like desert uh, sort of weeds that grow naturally in, in our ground. And uh, there was this huge like bougainvillea tree bush shrub. I don't know what it is. But it was like 10 feet tall and it took up about a third of the backyard. And the backyard was just a mess. But my wife and I, we like, we like to have it nice and clean and we like clean grass and, and uh, we like to grow vegetables even though we're not really great at it, but we like to do it. And and so I'm looking at this backyard, and it needs some help. And so uh, I went ahead and I cut down that big, huge bougainvillea tree. And, and then there were all these little rocks. I had to pull all the little rocks out of the soil. Then, um, then I had to add sprinkler lines, till the soil, put some fertilizer, uh, put some uh, new soil down, uh, set up a garden barrier for our garden area, then do that soil in particular, plant some vegetable seeds. And then I had to shoot the birds and poison the bugs, you know. I had to get it all ready. <clears throat> No, no birds were hurt in the making of my garden, but, uh, but uh, it was kind of a lot of work. But uh, if you want to have a garden, I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about farming. That's my, that's my sum total of farming is my vegetable garden in the backyard and some grass. And so that's what we did to set up our backyard. And I was reminded of it because Jesus is going to jump into this idea of fields. And he's going to talk about farming, and that, that's as close as I come to farming. Here's what Jesus says. The same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake and such a large crowd gathered around him that he got in a boat and he sat in it uh, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told him many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. 
As he was scattering the seeds, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Then the sun came, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed, it fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times that what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And that was it. That was his teaching for the minute. And they walked away, and he was talking to the disciples for a little while, and they came back, and they're like, what was that all about, Jesus? And so he explains it to them. He says, listen, here's what the parable about that sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and he doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on the ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they got no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred and sixty or thirty times what is sown. About five months ago, uh, we were going through the book of Mark, and Mark chapter 4 has this same parable. And so we touched on it a little bit then, but we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive today. So first, I want to remind us, when we're looking at a parable, we're always looking for the main point. We're going to get in trouble if we're expecting intricate systems of theology with like the smallest detail revealing spiritual truths. That would be an allegory. But parables aren't allegories. Parables are short stories or or, uh, illustrations to prove a main point. And so the word parable literally means to lay alongside or to set alongside. And so Jesus is telling a, a physical reality and then he's setting alongside it a supernatural, a spiritual reality that are parallel. And so Jesus was setting this spiritual truth alongside these daily truths of living. Just like the farmer's purpose for planting is a yield of crops, so Jesus' purpose or God's purpose of planting his, his word in our lives is a yield of spiritual crops in our lives. And so the point is, in the story, there was no crop, there was no crop, there was no crop, and then there was a crop. Crops being good, no crops being bad. It's the same seed, same sower, same grower, and the difference is entirely in the soil. It's dependent on the type of soil that's there. And we choose the soil type. So I think it's really important to to not think that this is a salvation parable because I have salvation, so I'm the one with a good word and I don't need to listen to the rest of it. It isn't a salvation parable. It's a parable about fruit in life and why fruit may or may not be evident in your life. And so this, in this parable, we're going to see parts of ourselves in all of it. And so don't dismiss it because you thought, well, I'm the good soil because I have Jesus, boom. Then that isn't, he's not talking about, that's not the main point, isn't about salvation. The main point in this parable is about bearing fruit. And there are all sorts of reasons why you might be. One of them might be that you're not a believer, but it might be that you're a believer for, who has some other issues going on. So that's what Jesus is trying to say here. 
Okay, so now the breakdown and the details of the field's parable. So in each of the soils, we're going to notice the physical reality. Then we're going to see the spiritual parallel to that. And then we're going to see the, the remedy. Okay, so the first is the pathway soil. So the physical reality is along this path, people were walking all the time. And so it packs down the soil really hard. And so when the seed drops on it, it doesn't embed into the soil. It just sits on the top, which makes perfect snatching for birds. So they fly by, they grab it, and they, they eat it. And I saw this in my own garden when I, when I was... Uh, planting those things. Man, there were birds flocked. They thought it was buffet time, you know, right when I planted out those gardens. They were out there. I was like, birds, get out of there. I was always go chase them out. And then, they just hop on the fence. They wait two seconds and they come back, right, when I stop waving my arms. And so uh, this is a problem. And it was a problem because the, the seeds weren't soaking, soaking in the soil. The birds could just swoop down and pick it up. That was the physical reality. And so Jesus says the spiritual reality is the same sort of thing. People hear the word, but it doesn't quite take. They, they may hear it, but they don't understand it. Last week we talked, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about hearing without actually listening. And that's what this person, the, the kind of person is in mind here. They, they, they hear the word, but Satan comes and snatches out, just like that bird does, before it has a chance to take root. So it hits their ears and doesn't travel down to a place where it can grow and then produce a crop. So in our lives, does Satan do that? And, and how would he do that? Remember, when we're talking about the Word, we're not just talking about the Bible, though the Bible is an excellent place of the Word. We, were talk, we listened last week about like listening to God, and it's through His Word, and it's through other main, means as well, through nature and through, through the whispers and through in our, in our inner being and out loud and, and in dreams and visions, all sorts of ways God can talk to us. And so when we say the Word, it's not just the, the physical Bible, though that's a great place. So how does Satan snatch the word from us? Satan steals by saying the opposite of God. Whispering that, that you're nothing. That you're just a meaningless speck in the cosmos. Like, how tiny are you that you would matter at all? He lies and he says God isn't real. There's no such thing as God. And if there were, he's certainly not near to you. Perhaps he casts doubt on your faith or, or doubt that God is in control because your circumstances are pretty bad right now. And so, man, if there were really a God and he loved you, why would your circumstances be so bad? And so Satan sort of says the opposite of God, getting you to doubt your value or your worth, maybe doubting that you're lovable at all. Maybe you doubt that, that grace could truly save you. If, if, Pastor Sam, you knew the sins that I have, you would know that I can't be saved. I'm too far gone. And that's the kind of thing Satan would say. Satan says, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, and you can't make a difference. In your inner mind, if you hear whispers of insufficiency and condemnation, those aren't God's words. That's Satan stealing God's truth from you. That's exactly what it sounds like. If you say like, man, my, my friends are so much smarter than me and they're so much better than me and they're, they're so much better looking and people are more talented than me, that's not God's word to you. He'll never say that to you. So who's saying that to you? That's the enemy snatching the truth. The truth is, God says, I love you. I think you're valuable. I created you weird. Stay weird. I know how you are. I made you that way. 
Stop trying to conform to what everybody else wants you to be. That isn't my voice. That's how he snatches it out, the kind of lies. And God says, you are valuable. I created you on purpose, with a purpose. You are loved. Eternity is real, and it's attainable through Jesus. That's God's truth. So what's the remedy for for Satan coming and stealing God's truth from us? The remedy is shoot the birds and poison the bugs. Just like in my my garden, I, I put poison to kill those bugs and I can't admit to shooting birds because people like birds nowadays. But I may have shot a bird or two. Just want to be honest. Possibly. All right, I shot a bird or two, okay? How do we shoot a bird in our analogy here, in our parable? Well, James says, if you'll just submit yourself to God, If you'll just submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil, then he'll flee from you. It's (laughs) that easy? Yeah, just shoot the devil. Just resist him and he'll flee from you. Like the past, sometimes we allow God's worth, his truth to be snatched from our hearts, but we can resist the evil one. The devil is not as strong as God. He's not as strong as Jesus. He's not as strong as the Holy Spirit. He is a created being who is not a God. And they are not on equal level playing fields. God is high above him. And we have the power of God with us. And so we can, when we submit ourselves to God, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. Turn wholeheartedly towards God and he gives you the strength to resist. Now this is not a one-time deal because that sucker, he's going to come back every day. Like I shoot those birds. I walked back to my, before I get through the sliding glass door, those birds are back out. And that's how Satan works. You may shoo him away. Man, I got rid of that temptation. I I said no to that lie. I am valuable, God. God says it to me. Forget you, Satan. And then like, whew, 10 minutes later, that doubt creeps back. You're coming right back. But you know what you do? You just shoot the bird again. You've got to constantly resist his lies. You have to constantly resist his falsehoods and his attempt to steal God's word from you. And so as you recognize those devil's lies. I want you to shoot them. I want you to imagine your life shooting those lies down from the devil. Name them as lies and don't allow them to shape your reality, your soul, your soil. I know there's some people in our church who uh, have a firearm next to their bed, right, uh, for protection that you put, uh, maybe you have a handgun in your your room or by your bed, right by your nightstand, just to keep your family safe. Well, I want to suggest perhaps you put the Word of God on your nightstand And so when the insecurities of the day creep in, that you have the Word of God right there with you. Now, I don't know if you all met uh, Tina. Tina's been coming to our church for a little while. And every time I talk to Tina, she's got a word of the Lord ready on her lips. And and I don't know this. I don't know about her living situation or or how her room is set up. But but, Tina, I bet you have the Word of God by your nightstand. Is that that true? I think she's here. Is that true, Tina? (laughs) Do you put the Word of God by your nightstand at night? It is, yep, I knew it, because her Bible's all marked up. She's walking around with it. She's talking to me, the Bible. And, and when insecurity comes from the day, man, you probably made some bad decisions this day, and I have. You lay down, what does Satan do? He piles right on, right? He starts to bring the worries. He starts to bring the trouble. He starts to bring everything. You reach right over and say, I'm going to shoot that guy. I got protection. You grab the Word of God, and maybe you don't even need to physically grab it, because you know the Word in your heart. 
We say, I'm going to reject that lie. I'm going to shoot that down. And so that's the remedy for the pathway of the soil. And, and that's not for non-believers. That's for those of us who know the Lord. The enemy is trying to snatch that word away so that we won't have growth in our lives. And so we shoot him and get rid of him. And we can resist him through the power of God. Absolutely. The next problem is rocky soil. The physical reality was rocky soil is where the soil was really thin. So there was like a rock underlay. And so uh, the dust would gather and seed would get there. And it would grow just a tiny bit because there's some dirt. But it would hit the rock base. And it wouldn't grow anymore. And it wouldn't take... It wouldn't take root. In my garden, I was like putting fertilizer and throwing seed out. And, and I realized after a week, because you're not supposed to walk on the lawn at first. So after a couple of weeks, I walked out and I looked. And I saw some of the, the fertilizer had fallen on a leaf. And dirt had fallen and some seed fell on the leaf. And then the little grass was growing. But there's no way that grass is going to survive. There's no way it's going to take. It can't be part of my lawn because there's something underneath it blocking it. And that's exactly what this rocky soil is. There was, there was dirt on top of it, but there's a rocky layer underneath preventing it from the roots from going down. It will never bear proper fruit because it can't get deep. It's stuck shallow. And so that's what happens in the physical reality. The spiritual reality, the soil represents those who like get the word enthusiastically. Maybe you're excited about it, but something happens. Jesus says trouble or persecution happens, and it causes a lack of, of fruit. See, the problem isn't the sudden growth. The problem is the lack of depth. The problem is the roots can't go down deep. Trouble is a term for suffering which comes from outside of yourself. And so sometimes there's life, in life there are things that you didn't cause. Like they just come from outside of you. And persecution is a, a particular type of trouble that is deliberately inflicted and it often has like a religious tone. And so sometimes there's troubles that hit you and then sometimes there's troubles that are a religious sort of persecution trouble that hits you. And they can block God's work, worth in your life. Look, in America in 2021, it's more likely that it's religious shame versus religious persecution. Probably someone's not going to throw you in jail for being a believer. They're not going to come up and beat you up for, for saying yes to Jesus. It's, it's really unlikely. Now, it may happen, but it's really unlikely in America. But what will happen is religious shame. Maybe you're at a workplace where they're, they're definitely not a, you know, a Christian worldview workplace, and, and you've got to go in week after week and day after day, and, and there's this animosity towards Christianity, which which causes you to, to maybe be a little quiet, causes you maybe to, to doubt your sort of footing, and it causes you to be uncomfortable. Maybe you have extended family members who aren't believers and they, they constantly belittle the Christian faith. Or, or maybe it feels like the media is constantly like assaulting your faith. And so these are the those sort of Christian shaming is probably more like the persecution that we actually experience Versus someone like trying to lock us up and throw us in jail for talking about Jesus. But the persecution is real nonetheless, and we feel the weight of it. So religious haters can ruin the growth that God desires in us. Like so we kind of just simply stop listening to God, or or maybe like we we set aside our Bible during a difficult, troublesome season, like we just try to deal with it on our own. Or, or maybe we silence our witness to those that are around us because of the persecution, but, you know, because of the culture, uh, the negative culture towards Christians that we're experiencing. And so it hinders the fruit in our life. So the remedy for the rocky soil 
is to break up the rocks and remove them. Now, Jesus says this. He said, I've told you guys these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, there's going to be trouble, going to be rockiness. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And in Nahum, famous book to be quoted all the time, right? Nahum says, the Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And so Jesus recognizes it. He says, I know there's a rocky soil right, uh, right underneath the soil. I know there's a rocky basin right there. But you know what? I can crush that thing. I can overcome the rockiness. I am the overcomer. Now, so the haters are going to hate. But Jesus says, take heart. Turn to God in trouble, trusting the eternal, not the temporary, because he can break rocks. And then once the rocks are broken up, the roots can grow down deep. Lean into the teachings of Jesus. Know that you have a supernatural power in the spiritual battle named the Holy Spirit. He is the ultimate rock breaker, shattering trouble and persecution as we allow His power in the soil of our hearts. The next area of trouble is thorny places. So, uh, among the thorns describes a soil that's already occupied with hostile plants and weeds, and it will choke out the desired seed. In my backyard, that bougainvillea was humongous. Now, I don't know if you know bougainvillea because you're not a plant person, bougainvillea looks beautiful, has gorgeous red flowers all over it, and thorns that are like two and a half inches, two inches long. And it just takes over. And this thing was, it's supposed to be a shrub, but it was bigger than me and covering a third of the backyard. So I don't know if that's called a shrub. It's called like a giant forest. And somehow it's able to grow, even though the rest of the entire lawn is dead. There's another, this thing is flourishing. And then I got these other, like uh, those desert, and they just grow all the time and you don't even want them to. Those ones, those were in there. And so what do I do? Well, I'll figure out what I do in just a second. So, so that, that was my reality, right? So the spiritual alongside is this. Some people respond to God and they, and they grow for a little while, but then they're choked. They're stopped in their spiritual growth by competition from unspiritual things. That's what Jesus says. If your best spiritual times were in high school or in college, I was thinking about it this week. If you're like, you know what, my best spiritual times was, that was I was in college, I was on fire. I didn't really have any worries in life. I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have kids, I didn't have, I didn't have X, Y, and Z, I didn't have this extra baggage in my life. And I was wondering if it might be because when we were in college or when you were in high school, you had less worries. And if that's you, then this is exactly who Jesus is talking about. Because you can't grow spiritually because your worries are choking out the growth that Jesus desires for you. Your worries are choking out your faith. Worries are any preoccupation or distraction which bring about competing priorities, taking your mind away from God. And look, there's a million possible worries. And almost every one of them are beyond your control anyway. Yet how many of us are paralyzed in our faith by our worries? Then, interestingly, Jesus says, there's a specific worry that you have. And some of you are paralyzed. You're choked out by the general worries, like, I'll worry about my kids, I'll worry about my future, I'll worry about X, I've got a million worries. 
He said, there's a really specific one, too, that you've got to watch out for. That's the worry about wealth. Interestingly, Jesus points to that specific area of worry. And that's truth. Because money could be a huge worry. Anyone here ever worried about their money? Anyone ever heard this week as they saw their like portfolio going, ah, ah, ah. you're like, no, stupid Reddit people, or whatever you're like, I don't know which side you want to be on, but whatever, right? Ever and anyone else worry about their mortgage? Anyone else worry about like how they're gonna pay for college for their kids? Like, oh man. Anyone else worried about like after I graduate college, am I going to even have any money? Is there going to be money in the world still? Or is it all going to be Bitcoin or virtual? I, I don't know. But money is a real worry. And the love and the pursuit of money could be a real threat to your spiritual life. Like how many of you have not become what God wants you to become because of money concerns? And I'm not talking about an occupation. I'm talking about as a human being. How many of you have allowed worry to choke out what God wants for you. I think God wants me to do this, but I don't know if we can afford it. I think God wants, wants us to give 20%, not just 10% tithe, but, but I don't think we can afford it. Man, I, I wanted to share something with someone, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried what they might think about me. See, our worries and our, and our, and our worries of wealth they're going to block the things that God wants to do. Both worries and specifically money cause us to become self-absorbed. See, worries are just me collapsing on me. Just me worrying about me. And it's going to choke out the movement of God and the response to His Spirit. So the remedy was twofold. In my garden, I got my axe. I chopped down that. I put on gloves. I still got a lot of scratches. Chopped down that bogan via tree and threw it away. And those little dirty desert plants, I shot them with weed killer. Squirted them up. And they shriveled and died right before I, I tilled the land and, and put the rest of the stuff in. And so chop down the huge bushes and kill the, the little weeds. Here's the, the Word of God says this. Don't worry about anything. Oh, man, I was just, this pastor was about worry. <laughs> what a coincidence. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace and it's going to exceed anything that you could even understand or explain. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. So defeat the worry with prayer and expected peace. In your mind, just imagine taking those worries, like, like it's that, that bougainvillea tree, and you take your axe and you chop that thing down. And so maybe you're going to sit in your bed tonight and a worry is going to come. So I want you to visualize grabbing that worry, chopping that thing, and throwing it away. Maybe it's a little worry, you know, like a, uh, maybe it's like a money pops its head up. So you take your roundup weed killer and squirt that thing and kill it. Kill it with the prayer. You say, God, I have this worry right now in my heart. I want to pray about it, and I want you to replace that worry with peace. That's what your Word of God says you will do. I'm going to rely on that right now. I'm going to trust that, and I'm going to give that worry. I'm going to cut it out of my heart. I'm going to throw it away, and I'm going to replace that with your peace. I'm going to ask that you replace that with your peace because that's what your Word says is available. The things of this world only matter most if this world matters, matters most. If this, if this world is all that there is, then you, then you should worry about the world. 
But it isn't. There's, there's a greater world, an eternity waiting. Money only matters most if there is no such thing as a heavenly reward. But there is an eternity and there is a reward through Christ Jesus. So if we're willing to do the work of the garden, uh, the gardens of our hearts, we will, with the power and the help of God, be able to come to this place where we have good soil. And the physical reality was that good soil is describing a soil that is both fertile and weed-free. And it has a productive crop where it doesn't matter, but it's 10, 50, 100-fold crop. Good ground cannot help but produce a good crop. And so if you are ready the hearts of our souls in our spiritual reality, that soil represents those people who respond rightly. They receive God's word. They take it in. They live it out. And you won't help but to be able to bear fruit. You won't help but to be able to have a yield of a crop in your lives. But what does a crop of God look like in my life? A crop of God is like the, a character building stuff like this. Fruit of the Spirit, you've heard of that. The crop of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Like that's, that's the work of God. Changing your internal reality. It'll show up. You're, you're not going to be as angry anymore. And you're going to be more joyful. You're not going to be worried more. You'll be more at peace. There's a crop of personal growth and transformation as we look at Jesus and become more like Jesus. There's a crop of evangelism, new believers and a harvest of soul. It will just happen if you're following God rightly. It's a, a crop of a repentant heart, finally turning away from that sin that has a hold of you for the last 20 or 30 years. It's a crop of love for God and love for others. It's growing as a kingdom saint. See, this parable compels the listener to ask, what kind of soil am I? How can I prepare my heart and mind to be the right kind of soil? See, this parable invites action so that we could receive God's word to the full benefit. So the remedy for good soil, well, it's already good, so there's no remedy per se, but it want to be consistent. Remedy for good soil is to add fertilizer and to water it, to maintain it. Check out this powerful scripture from 2 Peter. It says, His divine power, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Like if you've got good soil, just maintain it. Keep it up. Trust in his promise that he's saying right here that everything that you need to have this good soil is available right now. Nothing is out of your reach or out of your grasp. Right now, you can have good soil. You can become a heart and a soul that is available for the growth of God. So let's just pause a moment. And I want you to pause and I want you to take a soil sample of your own heart. I know we want to soil sample our spouses, but nope, just do your own. Don't worry about anyone else. Just think about yourself for right now. Check where you are spiritually. Examine the soil of your heart and see if there's any work that needs to be done. Like maybe it's a like complete renovation, but probably it's not. Probably your heart just needs a little bit of maintenance. Maybe there, there are a few of those weeds that have popped up, a few of those worries, and maybe you just need to go cut them out right now. Maybe, maybe you have 
allowed those birds to snatch God's word out of your heart. You've allowed Satan to, to fill you with lies. So, so I want you to go right now and just shoot those birds. Now maybe, maybe you, you've, you've reached the plateau. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to break through so your roots can go deep. So would you just take a minute think about that. Take your soil sample and then turn to God to help you address your findings after you look at your own heart.